Welcome to another edition of the Scarlet Nation podcast. Today we have a special signing day edition. With me is national recruiting analyst Brian Doan, 24-7 Sports. Brian, we have a ton to talk about. I know it's not a typical signing day, but thanks for being on and welcome. How are you making out in the snow? Uh, doing great, man. I'm going to have to nap for four days after signing day with all the snow I shoveled. <laughs> That's why you have to have the, the the kids a little bit older going out and doing it. That's what I did. Uh, you know, keep them by back intact. Yeah, I, well, my kids are old enough to do it, but then when they go out there, you know, it's, oh, I got to get a drink. Oh, I got to do this. <laughs> oh, I got to do that. It's like, let's go already. I hear you. I hear you. So we're, we're on the uh, on National Signing Day 2021, and it's an entirely different landscape. I think if we would have mentioned 10 years ago that this was what we would be doing, we probably wouldn't have believed uh, one another because it's just changing so much. Um, now, Brian, less guys signing uh, National Signing Day now. Is this what we can expect for the future? I mean, is it going to be even less? How do you think this this will be five years from now? Um, yeah, I, I think everybody's focus, if, it's already in December, but I think industry-wide, everybody will recognize December as kind of like the only time, kind of like in basketball, everybody views November as the signing period, you know, as signing day, when in theory in basketball, you could also go, go into the spring if you wanted to as well. I think you're going to see a lot of that stuff. I think, um, it, you know, and I get it, these kids commit. And coaches want to know, hey, you're with us, right? Everything's good. And the kid has to say, yeah. And the school has to say, yes. So if everything's good, why are you going to wait? And it puts, you know, the, the, the kids are under a lot of pressure to, to, you know, sign in December. And schools more and more are apt to, you know, push to fill up most of their class or save for transfers. Now, the one difference you had this year is, you didn't have, you know, for Rutgers, if you look at Rutgers, you only had two states play in their recruiting area, Pennsylvania and New Jersey, right? I know Maryland, some places in Maryland played a game or two. But so it wasn't like there was going to be any new evaluations coming from the fall to where you can get involved with somebody late or, hey, this kid's still on the board in January and move on him. But overall, I, I think um, if you haven't already figured out that, you should be paying attention to what goes on in December. Well, from this point on, you should. <laughs> now, early enrollment's a big thing. 13 Rutgers guys in there already for the spring semester. Um, it, I know a lot of people chose to do it this year because of the COVID situation. They weren't going to school anyway. But is this going to be the norm moving forward? You'll see really heavy early enrollments with um, guys who sign in December? Yeah, because... Every kid thinks they're going to the NFL, so they want to get to college first and, <laughs> and do that because, you know, which is fine. That's what makes them great players. But so every kid thinks they're going to the NFL, so they want to get in and they, they want to get into spring practice and get on the field as a true freshman because they believe that's the path to the NFL. The flip side is schools want them in there so they can graduate them in three and a half or four years. So if a kid leaves after four years to train for the NFL, he has his degree and you don't have to chase him down for APR and stuff like that. And, and it, you know, it, it's just good business and it, and it helps the kid out. But yeah, I mean, my whole thing with going to school early is, and I get it, these kids are built differently, but you miss out on a lot your senior 
I mean, Bobby, it's, I mean, it's been a bit since you and I went to high school, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I mean, you know, hanging out with your friends after and, and, uh, you know, whether you go to prom or whatever you do, you don't experience all that stuff. You don't experience senior skip day, which I think for me was every other day anyway. But uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you don't experience that stuff. And, you know, we'll see. I don't know how much they'll regret it later in life. If, you know, you go on to play 10 years in the NFL, you, you don't play it down. But um, yeah, I mean, they want the kids in class and that way they can work them out and get them in the weight room and all that stuff, which is much more important than the spring practice stuff for a lot of the kids is getting in the weight room and figuring out a way to get in better shape and stronger. Good point. You know, and you, you look at some of those kids who arrive in January and then you see them when they're about to take the field for uh, training camp in the summer. And a lot of them look like different people. Now, it doesn't guarantee that they're ready to play, but you, it really makes a market difference. Um, now, now switching gears a little bit, Brian, um, another topic of conversation where it always comes up. We're always asked this, this eligibility, this extra year, um, 2022, it's going to be a crunch with the numbers. Anything new with the NCAA extending that, uh, to a hundred ships instead of 85 or, or what are you hearing on that front? There's talk of all that stuff of extending to a hundred of extending to 90, 95. Um, you know, the one thing you got to remember is, so you, you take any program this year, right? Where, you figure you have 20 seniors that would be in your program based on attrition or whatever Rutgers has 15 seniors. I, I, I don't know the exact number, but when you give these kids an extra year of eligibility, I mean, what you're talking 50,000 a kid. So you have 15 kids you're talking, you know, it could get close to a million dollars of your budget. And so schools need to find out about that from a football perspective. You know, they're, they're going to have to budget for more money in a time when nobody can come into their building. So you're losing all that revenue from attendance. Um, but it's the NCAA. So Lord knows when they'll actually tell the schools what's going on and, and how to handle it. Um, you know, there are schools that are terrified that the NCAA is going to be like, hey, fend for yourself. You got 85. Mm-hmm. So, um We'll we'll see what transpires maybe in the next month or two once you get past this signing day and, and see what they say. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, imagine going out to recruit and you don't know how many scholarships you're going to have. You know, go try going out and you're, you're making dinner for 15 people, but nobody's telling you how much money you have to buy groceries. <laughs> I mean, okay. you know, it's it's you know, what do you do? Are, mm-hmm. are we having filet mignon or are we having hot dogs? <laughs> so, so um, you know, that that's kind of where you're at with the NCAA. But, I mean, listen, we, we already know they're clueless, so that doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Now, uh, you know, another thing I wanted to talk about, uh, we – Right in the signing day, we always jump right into junior days and, and, you know, recruiting is nonstop. So, you know, as soon as 2021 ends, 2022 begins um, in terms of recruiting that class. Obviously, it started, but, you know, you really get immersed into it. What's going to happen, do you think, in these next couple months in place of these junior days? Are they going to be virtual or, or are teams just going to try and wait to hope to have some unofficial visits? How are all these different schools handling it? Yeah, I, I mean, it depends what you're talking about. I mean, you know, this weekend, Notre Dame's hosting a kid 
from Virginia, a defensive end who's going to go check out the campus and walk around. Can't have contact with the coaches or anything, but you can go walk around and look around. And, and Notre Dame is unique in the sense that a lot of the stuff that you're attracted to at Notre Dame is open to the general public. So, you know, there's nothing stopping it. You know, you look at in the 21 class, Tywon Malone decided, well, I never saw Florida State, so he went down there and walked around. Wanted to show his parents A&M, so they went down there and walked around. Wanted to go back to Ole Miss, and he went back to Ole Miss and walked around with his family. So that stuff you can do. You just can't do the presentations. I, I, you know, what's what's going to happen is they're going to continue to do the virtual tours. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, everybody says Zoom calls. Well, Rutgers uses WebEx, so that's what you'll have a lot of WebEx calls for Rutgers tours walking around. And then we'll see what happens. And you know, they're saying April fifteenth right now. Um, there's talk that that they're going to allow kids on campus after that, which will be big. I do not see a situation where you're going to have 50 kids showing up to a spring practice. I I see a situation where it's going to be a limited number of kids per per visit. You're probably going to have to sign a waiver to go on campus. You know, the Big Ten did the COVID testing that was, you know, right away, you know, took Two seconds, you know, you get the results 15 minutes later is what they did for football. I got to believe that's what they're doing for basketball with getting results. Um, so I could see a situation where maybe schools figure out, hey, you come on campus, you have to get a test before you can walk around and do stuff. I, I, I think they're going to have to be creative with allowing these kids to see schools um, and also protecting their schools against lawsuits because Bobby, I don't know if you know this, but in, in this day and age, there's a lot of frivolous lawsuits. So, (laughs) I mean, you know, you could have somebody step on a campus and, and get COVID or test COVID, you know, three days later and nobody will know why, you know, where you got it from or whatever. And you could just see a bunch of, you know, you could just see that there's going to be some issues today you know, in this day and age. Um, so I think they're going to have to get a handle on that. Um, but I, I do see a scenario where kids are going to be able to get on campus. Is it April 15th? Will it wind up being May 1st? I, I don't know. But, you know, there's talk of it, of school, you know, schools usually can go out starting April 15th and evaluate kids. Mm-hmm. I don't think that'll happen. I really don't. I don't think they're going to want, you know, Jim Panagos or Fran Brown or Augie Hoffman you know, visiting seven schools mm-hmm. a day right. and going from place to place and sitting in offices talking to people. I don't think the NCAA is going to want that. I don't know if programs are going to want to do that. So it'll be more the kids coming to you rather than you going to the kids. And assuming that, you know, there's no drastic changes, it, it, you probably see the football camp season wiped away in terms of schools holding them. We, no, no, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think so. I think you're going to no? be able to get some camps because if you look at what's gone on now, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Elite 11 is supposed to have a camp in, geez, uh, you know, they got a bunch of them in the East in June. Um, there's some seven on seven stuff going on. Uh, I think Pylon has an event in Delaware next weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you'll see camps now. Are you going to do one-on-ones? I don't know. I mean, you know, I was at a camp in Virginia in November where they did testing and they did a lot of drill work and everything, but they did not do one-on-ones. So I can see, again, I could see camps. I could see the camps be, you know, the issue that you have is you're not allowed to have 
invite only camps like that mm-hmm. stuff. The NCA does not allow you, you know, that's why I always laugh when people are like, ah, oh, they're having an invite only junior day. Well, other than that's not allowed, um, <laughs> you know, now there's ways around it in terms of, Hey, just come to campus this day. We're doing this. But I, I think in a limited way, you'll be able to have some camps to get some kids on campus and, and maybe work them out in some vein. But I don't think it's going to be, let's put it this way, Bobby. I don't, I don't see in late June, you and I being at Rutgers for a 150 team, seven on seven or whatever they go. No, no, you're not allowed. It's not, wait, wait, wait. It's not a seven on seven. Passing camp. Passing camp because the NCA does not allow seven on sevens. They allow passing camps where seven on seven teams play for a championship. <laughs> Semantics. That's what I was kind of getting at. You know, the the camps because when when I picture you know us going to Rutgers camps, you you just see busloads of kids coming on, and you know there's obviously you know the top recruits, but there's just a lot of kids there just to get football instruction who aren't Division One, Two, or even Three recruits. So um, I, I think we can we can kind of safely say that that's going to be a a thing of the past at least this year. Yeah, I, I think so, but um. You know, I, I think you. one thing we've learned with all this is you kind of have to wade through it and, and be patient and not just jump to conclusions. Um, you know, you, you'll you find out what goes on with the vaccines and what kind of, you know, did the numbers go down in the spring and, and where are you at in terms of of being able to protect the player who comes to the camp and mm-hmm. the coaches at the camp. So I think there's a lot of that. I know, um, you know, in the youth sports world, you know, um, my wife and I coach a, a travel basketball team with with a, with another guy, and the rule is parents are not allowed in. It's just us, the kids, and the refs, mm-hmm. and that's it. And so, you know, as much fun as it is to sit at these seven-on-sevens and watch parents act like it's – what's bigger than the Super Bowl and World Cup all in one <laughs> – um, you know, and, and Highline and, seven on seven. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. That's <laughs> I, I mean, geez. but I mean, so I think I, I, you know, I think what I'm trying to say is whether it's junior days or visits or camps or whatever, you're going to limit the number of people who are able to get onto campus or in your building or what have you while still be able to get the central figures there. Okay. Now, probably moving ahead to 2022, um, you know, we've talked about this before, smaller class size because, you know, we think, are, we think, I mean, we, think. Know, we turn around and, and not be that. Right. It, but I mean, is that still trending that way? Do you think these classes are still going to be smaller in size because of that extension of the free year of eligibility? I, I think until the NCA rules, Yes, because you you can't go out and take 23 commitments and then find out that the NCAA is only allowing you to have 85 kids the next year. Right. Because all of a sudden, you know, you're like, well, wait a minute now. Mm-hmm. And again, the extra year of eligibility has when you're talking about rosters and scholarship distribution, it has zero to do with the kids who are going to be seniors. Mm-hmm. It's the kids who are freshmen who are still freshmen. And mm-hmm. sophomores who are still sophomore. I mean, those freshmen still have another four to five years of eligibility. Right. I mean, you got to be kidding me. So <laughs> that's what you. So so this is not a one-off. Let's figure it out for this year. This is a trickle down for a few years. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it seems like uh, they're going to have to get their calculators out, the, the college coaches. Uh, and, you know, in another uh, similar topic, the, the transfer portal, I mean, this this could just, I mean, it's already, you know, exploded, but it could explode even more with this situation. Uh, do you see that ever getting a cap on it, or is it just going to expand? It's oh, <laughs> a really good question, Bobby. Um, I think it's going to continue to expand because – what I have found is players, trainers, and parents have no real concept of what the transfer portal is. And by that, I mean they think they're going into the portal and there's going to be 74 schools running to get them. Mm-hmm. And that is not how this stuff works. They are, I mean, shoot, I think in the 2020 class, when you go back and look, I think there were something like still 700 kids in the portal from that class. Mm-hmm. So you you have so much, so many kids in there, and there there are there are more kids that will be done playing football because they went in the portal than wind up at Power Five schools. Is my bet. Well, and, and you see some of these kids, you know, walk-ons from Rutgers will say, I'm entering the transfer portal. And I'm like, checking, who is this kid? You know, like, the yeah, expectations well, I mean, listen, are just if, not realistic. Well, you know, it depends. If you're if you're going into the portal because you're going to go play Division Two or Division Three, and you just want to let people know that you're in the portal, that's cool. There's no issue with that. The issue is with, I mean, let's take K. Ron Adams from Rutgers, for example. Right. He's in there. Figure, okay, here's a kid who played, you know, he could have gone to Iowa, Michigan State coming out of high school. You figure, hey, maybe he's going to wind up at least at a Mac school or something. Mm -hmm. There he is at UMass. Yeah. And so, you know, now it's a great get for UMass. That's tremendous. Mm -hmm. Um, And he gets to learn under Savon Huggins, who's the running backs coach there now. But at the end of the day. I think all you, there's so many kids that are like, hey, I'm going in the portal. I can't wait to see who, you know, goes on me. You know, look at John Lovett from Florida who, you know, I talked to him right when he went in and he thought all these schools were going to offer and he's talking to this school and that school. And when it came down to it, it was Temple and I, I don't know who else was really heavily involved if there was anybody else heavily involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a, such a unique situation. Um, well, the, pa- when- the parents don't know. The parents think that the parents and the coach, like, oh, go in. Yeah, you're the man. You're getting wronged at your school. You're going to want, you're so much better than that. Oh, uh, want, you know, and these are kids that don't play after like a freshman year. Oh, go, go in it. Yeah. Oh, oh, yes. You're the best. You're, you're the greatest. Well, look, man, if there's a re- here's one thing parents have never figured out when their kid doesn't play a lot in college they have never figured out that hey the coach and and when i say you know there's some that have but the coach doesn't you know they play the best kid it's not like they're sitting there going well look at i understand timmy's the best player but let's go with johnny even though timmy gives us a better chance no you're not playing for a reason and schools know that and when it comes time to transfer what do they do most of them call the place that you're leaving to find out what was going on and why you left. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's really a uh, it's, it's unbelievable. 
It, that's that's the best word. I was trying to be. Uh... <laughs> it, it's sad to be honest. It's sad. now listen. There's some kids that want to go in and and they're going to drop down to one double A or Division two or Division three. Like John Olmstead left Notre Dame, right? Saint mm-hmm. Joe's Matacha left Notre Dame, and everybody's like, oh, he's going to have all these offers. And now I think he's at Lafayette. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, mean, really. And you look at his offer list, and you say, wow, this kid could have went anywhere in the country. Not anywhere, but you know what I mean. Had had a veritable pick of top Power 5 schools, and, and now is at a, uh, not even a really a major uh, FCS school. Yeah, and, and, and the flip side of that is, you know, I, I remember talking to a coach of a Mac school last offseason, and he was telling me, you know, he's like, oh, we're looking for this and this. And I said, well, I thought you were set at receiver. And he's like, well, we were, but our receiver, our top receiver who we developed for a few years decided that he wanted to go play a power five football instead. So now these kids, you, know, you look at what happened at Temple. Rutgers got mm-hmm. two of the guys from Temple who developed, have nice ceilings, mm-hmm. put in a year or two in Temple, bam, gone to a bigger school. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and up until then, it was interesting because all of Rutgers' transfers had come from Power Five programs, and, and Temple was the first one to to be you know from that group of five, and you know it could turn out to be some of the best players in that in that transfer group. Listen, uh, the defensive lineman from Poly Prep, I remember seeing him in high school and being like, "Man, this kid should have a lot more than he had." Yeah, um, and you know, um, not not a ton of schools are going to recruit Poly Prep, but. Um, yeah, I, I think the first year with Shiano in the transfer portal, it was about, you know, we got help immediately with depth. Mm-hmm. And you saw that with the portal. And now what you're seeing is, I mean, first of all, look, there's the connection with Fran Brown and Panagos with the two kids from Temple, the offensive lineman and defensive lineman. Um, they both know those kids well. But the other part of it is, is okay, you got two classes in now. Uh, and, and so now it's more about, okay, how do we keep building the depth? It's not just, hey, we need to get kids to actually survive on Saturdays. Um, and, and you still need some of those kids because not by a long shot is, is Rutgers roster healthy from a depth standpoint. But the shift changes a little bit to where now instead of just bringing in a kid who can help for a year, you're bringing in somebody who, you know, kind of fits what you want as a program and can help you for multiple years as you begin to build depth. Yeah. Uh, great point. Great point. And, you know, uh, just piggybacking off that, I wanted to finish with a, a record centric question. Um, you know, Greg Schiano did really, I think did a good job considering the circumstances with the COVID situation, you know, got some guys from in state, um, 2022, he's already started, grabbed a few commits. Um, how do you see this class kind of playing out? I know, um, they're building good relationships. So we talked about the size of it, but is it a class that, that can can exceed the, the ranking of the previous one? Um, well, that's a good question. I, I, I don't know about that just from the standpoint of, you know, if you ask me this in a couple of weeks after I go through all the 2022 stuff and mm-hmm. especially watch a lot of the Jersey kids that I haven't had a chance to see, um, haven't seen a lot of kids on the camp circuit yet. So you don't really know how some of them can move, um, which is what you go to camps for, you know, just how athletic is their size legit and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, I think if you're Rutgers in the 22 class, there's two things you need. You got to find a quarterback, right? Who's your quarterback? Mm-hmm. And, and look, there may be somebody in the transfer portal 
or not yet in the transfer portal who turns out to be that guy for three or four years. Right. I think that's one thing you look at. And I think the other thing you really look at is what do they do on the offensive line, right? Because I, I've written about a couple of these kids, and I, and I started thinking about it, and I, I know I'm going to leave somebody off, and somebody will be the first comment, hey, you didn't mention this guy. <laughs> but if you look at you have the the, the – Kid from Union City, the mm-hmm. offensive tackle, who who is is um, a, a bit of a, a I don't want to say a project, but he has to be developed, right? right. Project tell when I think of project, I often think of guys that aren't crazy athletic. I think this kid's really athletic. Mm-hmm. You got Joe DeCroce from he's now back at at uh, Northern Valley Demarest, mm-hmm. who's really high on Rutgers. You got Jacob Allen, who's really high on Rutgers from the Hunt School from Spotswood, who I wrote about recently. Um, And right there, you're talking about three offensive linemen in your state that you are doing really well with. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where you need to get this thing going. And it takes longer to get offensive linemen. Uh, I, I don't think the last class i don't think 21 was particularly deep on the offensive line in the region and so when you're looking at you know what rutgers needs to look they still need everything but the two areas i really want to see is what happens to quarterback and again that could be the transfer window after the 2021 season right and i want to see what happens on the offensive line those are the, the you know if you're if you're a rutgers fan Pay attention to those because you're able to fill a lot of gaps in the last couple classes. There's D linemen that are really young, but really have some good upside. And now you need to start building that depth at, at the two, you know, marquee units on the offensive side. All right. Excellent. Well, Brian, thank you for the insight. Valuable as always. And I want to appreciate uh, appreciate you coming on. I want to say thank you. And, um, you know, you can visit Brian on the, on the roundtable message board to ask a question. No hypotheticals, though, <laughs> because we're not getting into them. <laughs> hey, who's our next commit? I don't know, man. <laughs> but uh, happy signing day. Happy snow day for Brian Dodd. I'm Bobby Darrell. We'll see you next time on the Scarlet Nation podcast.